Welcome to the Connection Podcast. This is a long overdue episode, so thank you for joining us. We recorded a couple of weeks ago an interview with Abram Gallup, who recently returned from mission to North Dakota and Japan. We really enjoyed talking with him. We spoke about his mission, of course, and we also discussed a few interesting topics, including how to work with other people, and we did a pick of the week as well. So I, I think you'll really enjoy this episode. We had a great panel, too, of youth and, and adults as well. Welcome to the Connection Podcast. I'm Jason Keister, the show's producer, and this is our second recording of the day. We're having a busy day at the Connection Podcast, so we're welcoming Abram Gallup back from his mission in North Dakota and Japan. Welcome, Abram. Hey, hello. Thank you. And we've got Lexi DeLuna and Levi Keister on one hey. of the mics. <laughs> Hi. And then we've got Owen Keister and Javin Gray sharing a mic. Hello. Hello, hello. Good so, to be back. Big panel today, but we're excited. We like doing it like this sometimes. So one thing we were thinking about is is Javin was on the podcast. This is a while ago, actually. We were at like 50 episodes. I think you were 17 or something like that. I believe so. So it's been a little while, but happy to have you back, man. Yeah, glad to be back. Yep. And we just realized that we didn't ask you the Taylor Swift question so we, we're putting you on the spot before we get going. What What is your feeling about Taylor Swift? Well, now Taylor Swift is everywhere with uh, her dating Travis Kelsey. So I think uh, Travis Kelsey put her on the map. <laughs> <laughs> on the map. <laughs> this is practicing to withhold anger. Like earlier we were talking about. Yeah, we did. We t- the last episode yeah. we talked um, about that. Yeah. It's me currently. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not the Eras tour. Or yeah, I also think like Travis Kelsey's music. girlfriend's pretty cool. Agreed. I had to. I, are you gonna see the the movie? How was the movie, by the way? Because you you saw the tour and saw the movie, right? Yes, so. uh, I've seen both. They were both amazing. I think. The thing about the tour is you're so excited because you're like, I'm getting to see Taylor Swift tonight that there's just so much adrenaline going through you. And part of you just like kind of forgets a good amount of it because you're just so like, I don't know. It just feels like a dream, honestly. Yeah. So being able to um, see the movie was kind of nice because it was like, I actually do remember that. And it like, um, I don't know, it was exciting to relive it. See, I, I could relate to that because that's kind of like for me going to the Ducks game at Austin Stadium. It's you mm-hmm. feel all the hype and excitement, but you're also afterwards like what did happen in that game? <laughs> Whereas I think you can watch something on TV and be like, oh, yeah, that was a cool part. I like that. But OK, Abram, you're you're not immune to this. We have to ask you, are you a Swifty? <laughs> Um, okay, well, I don't really, I haven't been paying attention to any of the Taylor Swift things, but I like some of her songs. I'm not a huge fan of her, though. Okay, no. all right, all right, fair enough. And I have to admit, and Camille will vouch for this, that I was into Taylor Swift even when she was still doing country stuff, so. Wasn't Justin yeah. Meyer, too? Or yeah. Am I imagining that? No, I'm pretty sure Justin was. He yeah. would, yeah, or Hillary, Hillary would tell him he needs to. What Say about that. Brother Bear? Is it the whole Bishop Rick? I don't know. I don't know. It's <laughs> not really something Swifty. that comes up. <laughs> I should put that on our next agenda. Are you a Swifty? <laughs> Are you a secret Swifty? Yeah. Yeah. Was there, I am curious in Japan, because there are some things that 
you know, there there's like the it girl or the it guy, like in, in different countries and cultures. Like for me, when I served my mission, Shakira was huge. Like she was Taylor Swift in in Mexico when I was serving my mission. Was there anybody like that pop culture wise, like from the States or in Japan that was just super huge when you were on your mission? I don't know. Japan really likes Japanese music, J-pop. Yeah. And they also like K-pop a lot. So, but... I didn't really pay attention, so I don't really know of anybody. They like Taylor Swift. They liked okay. what's that music? Oh, can't remember the name of the band, but I'm really bad with names of bands too. Oh, at one point they had Red Hot Chili Peppers going on tour through Japan, though. Really? I really wished I could have gone. Yeah. Wow, that's kind of cool. That's I wouldn't have expected that as a like a big area where they'd have a bunch of fans, but. That's really cool. Yeah. All right, Abram. So you at we we just talked about the structure of our podcast and you haven't listened to an episode yet, but I bet you will after this. So super excited. Yeah. Um so we start every episode asking the same question. We want you to think hypothetically about, you know, you're coming in a new ward. Let's say you're asked to speak in the YSA ward and they ask you to talk a little bit about your life growing up and, and what you're doing now and go. Okay, sweet. Well, this will be fun. Well, yeah, I grew up in Springfield Third Ward. I went to Thurston High School. I went to Thurston Middle School, but I went to Ridgeview Elementary, which is just the closest school to my house, right? Let's see. In high school, I pretty much stuck to the same sports every year, which was cross country, swimming, and track. I did soccer my freshman and senior year, but I don't know. I didn't do it the whole year because I wanted to focus more on cross country. I did a lot of other things too. Like I did a little bit of theater. I was in the musical my freshman year. I did a couple of one acts. I also did a little bit of choir and what else did I do? I was in the Boy Scouts for a little bit. Got my eagle. Mm. Messed around and got an eagle. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I got an eagle. That was really great because we all got our eagles at the same time. That was I was I was I think I was there like at the very end of that. So that was cool. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and so I worked hard in high school. I graduated in 2020, same year as COVID. So I graduated in like March or February, even right after my last swimming meet ended, basically. And then I decided to wait a year to go. And then so I went to Oregon State University for one year, uh, just doing like really general things like chemistry, physics, all online. And then after that, I decided I applied and went on a mission. And so I just got back from my mission. I first went to North Dakota for 10 months, and then I was able to go to Japan for a year. I got back mm, like a week and a half ago at this point. Um, let me think throughout, throughout high school and throughout the last couple of years, you know, I've learned a lot and I've done a lot of things. I haven't really focused on one area to say, like, obviously I did lots of sports, but I didn't really focus on one sport or I didn't really focus on theater or choir or anything. I just wanted to try everything just to get a lot of experience in, and just to try new things. Cause that's one of the things I love to do is I love to try new things. And that was one of the things that excited me most about a mission because of all the new things I was able to try out, especially in Japan. And it was really fun. Oh. 
Well, great. Thanks, Abram. And we're excited to talk to you today. I wanted to move around the room here to some of our guest hosts. So Levi or Lexi, can you guys jump in and with a question for Abram? Um, well, while we're on the topic of like you were just introducing your life and talking about high school, um, it says that one thing you wish you could have a redo on was high school. Hmm. I'm just yeah. wondering um, what you would redo and maybe what you would um, keep the same or what important lessons you learned. Yeah, well, like I said, I did a lot of everything in high school. So one of the things I actually wish I could redo was kind of stick to one thing because that way I would have had not, I had lots of friends, but not a lot of really close friends. So I feel like if I stuck to one sport, I would have had a lot more really close friends that I could really trust and hang out with. That was something I kind of wish I did differently. Another thing that I wish I did differently was, uh, this is going to sound kind of, mm, that's okay. Just the testing, like the ACT or the SAT testing. What I wish I did is I wish I studied before the test because I didn't really study. <laughs> um, I did. I tried to do it a little bit, but... Mm -hmm. If you study, for, this goes for anybody, really. If you study for like six months to three months before the test, you're going to get a really high score. Like that is just because of the fact that you're studying and you're practicing those kind of tests. For the ACT, you can easily get like 33s, 34s. And if you're, if you're lucky and smart, you can get up to 36s. But if you study, you can get really high scores. So I wish I did that. Um, so that way I could have gone into some better colleges or got accepted to more colleges. Yeah. Little confession. I um, We took our ACT last week. I was not aware that we were taking the ACT. <laughs> our school did not push out that information very well. I should have just like assumed it was happening because it was my junior year, but I did not expect it to be happening as soon as it did. I did not study one bit. I forgot it was happening like until the week of. <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. But yeah. I, yeah. I, I am like five days past that and I already wish I could have gone back. I will say this. I will say this. Like I have an ACT story where I was going to go out with some friends afterwards and I was also tired. So I fell asleep midway through the ACT and left early. And I still became a doctor eventually. So, okay. Like there is, there is hope. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much my dad too. So, yeah. What was I gonna say? Oh yeah, another thing I wish I redid was kind of the sports. My last year, my last two years, I really wish I got more involved in recruiting for colleges because I didn't really do a lot of recruiting or you know I didn't reach out to colleges my junior and senior year, which you're supposed to do starting your junior year pretty much. So I wish I would have gotten more involved in that and you know started emailing the coaches, starting talking to them about what I'm interested in. So that way I could have been doing more sports in college. What was your Eagle Scout project? <laughs> it was planting trees. Um, I partnered with William Lane Sports and Recreational Sports and Rec. And for the 75th anniversary of Arbor Day, yeah, we planted 75 trees. So I was in charge of a group that would plant 25 of those trees. It was pretty fun. I got the help with the planning process, and I got teach everybody how to, teach everybody how to plant trees. You know where to plant them, and it's great too because I can still go to those trees and be like, "Hey, look, I helped plant this tree," because they're all around Springfield, like the parks. Mm -hmm. 
And Javin, we were talking too about the high school redo. I think you had some thoughts or feelings about redos in general, just uh, or questions for Abram. I was just going to ask him to elaborate. I know you <clears throat> mentioned that you wish you would have reached out to a lot of those, you know, schools or coaches that mm-hmm. might be interested in your services essentially as an athlete. Did you ever get mail or emails or any calls from schools uh, regarding even theater, but more specifically sports? Mm, I got I got a couple of things in the mail. Yeah. But they were for like they were for four colleges in the like the Midwest. Okay. Like Colorado those states that i i wasn't really interested in tra- living in so. yeah mm. makes sense yeah yeah that's that's all i had yeah and i i think what you're talking about too because we've this has come up on the podcast a lot with regards to you know some of the things from high school as far as spreading yourself too thin sometimes mm-hmm. and we we've, we've talked about on the show actually it, it's okay to kind of jump from thing to thing and and not necessarily stick on the same thing all the time but I, I think what you're getting at really is that the need to be deliberate. And and mm-hmm. for me, I'm learning this more in my life as I'm getting older too. I was just talking to a friend about this is, you know, I, the older I get, the less I can kind of just casually do things, you know, mm-hmm. it, casually have a friendship. It, you know, it can be difficult if, if you're casual about things, those friendships kind of die out. You have to be deliberate and intentional about spending time with people about participating in a hobby to really fully enjoy it. And I think that's, it, am I getting on the right track of kind of what, what you've learned? I, I would say so. It was more like I just didn't spend enough time with a group of people. Yeah. I just spent a lot of time with a lot of different people. Yep. When, mm. Which sport or activity would you have picked? Probably swimming. Okay. Like I'm going to try doing that still. I'm going to try to like walk on the team at Oregon State or something. I really loved swimming. It was my, I'd say it was my best sport. And it was just, I really enjoyed it. It was really fun. What's your best stroke or event the f- swimming? Mm, my best event's probably the 50 free. My best stroke is the freestyle. Sprinter. I was a sprinter. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I did, cr- I did long distance and cross country and track. So in the winter, I was dead set on sprinting. Take a break from that. So one thing I got to clarify with Thurston swim is my understanding is they require you to do like the longest race once a year or something like that. Is that true? Or yeah, like two times a season you do the longest. So what is race. what is the longest race and why do they do that? <laughs> well, in high school, the longest race is a five hundred meter swim. Okay, um, it probably takes about twenty minutes. I think the reason why my coach made us do it all is because nobody wanted to do it, but we had to do it. The team had to do it uh, to just get points to try to compete in the in the meets. I never liked it, but I did it. I, it's not like I was a stranger to long distances anyways, so it wasn't that bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Levi, let's get to you. So you had some questions that you wanted to ask Abram, I think about his mission and, and a few other things you had written down. What do you want to talk about? Yeah, so we're kind of just moving through all these events of your life. So we started off with high school. So you just went on a mission and you just returned. So I kind of want to learn your favorite lessons to teach the gospel or your favorite way to do it. Yeah, we got to remember I served in North Dakota and in Japan, 
two very different places for missionaries. Yeah. I in North Dakota, I really loved sharing the message about the restoration of the church. And I would have two different ways of doing that. Basically, the first way I would do it is, you know, you get get some visual aids out, get a like a whiteboard or a piece of paper, and then I would draw a line in it that kind of represents God's authority and God's line of prophets it starts from Adam and goes all the way to Jesus Christ, right? And then to each of these names that you'd write down along this line, you have a, you have another line going to them from Heavenly Father, which would be on another section of the page. And that line represents revelation. And so basically when you get far enough down the line after Jesus Christ, you, you draw a break in the line because Jesus Christ died and his apostles died. And then you start the line up again with Joseph Smith and you keep drawing it to the right of the page. And then you draw the line from Heavenly Father to Joseph Smith, representing the revelation Joseph Smith got. Um, I really love that kind of visual aid, that kind of lesson, because it really helped people understand what exactly happened in history, the way we believe it did. And then there's a second part to that lesson where you basically make a puzzle out of a temple, and there are five different pieces. Each of the pieces are like authority, revelation, Jesus Christ, and so those pieces you would just just explain each piece to them and piece it together. Just really nice, easy visual aids that really help people think about the important pieces, or at least what I think what was really important about Jesus Christ and his gospel and something that obviously a lot of people don't know about. I think, Owen, you wanted to ask more about uh, Abram's mission as well. You had a couple of questions I wrote down, at least. What did you want to ask? Uh, so first, what were some ups and downs of your mission? Ups and downs. Yeah, that's that's a great question to ask because the mission goes like that. You, you it's like a roller coaster ride where you have some really good highs and some really good lo- some really bad lows. Like for example, when I first got to North Dakota as a, as a greenie, as a missionary, I didn't know anything. It was re- it was right in the middle of winter. And the winters in North Dakota get really cold. They get down to averages is like negative 20 degrees Celsius. Wait, Fahrenheit? Sorry. And with the wind, it gets to negative 30 degrees and the wind just wants to rip your face off. And it's the winter. Nobody's outside. There's nobody really in the public places. So it was really hard to find people to teach as well. So it was really demoralizing for me as somebody who just came out of the MTC. And the MTC is like this really spiritually filled place with hundreds of missionaries. And so those first two months were kind of hard because of that. And me and my, my trainer didn't get along that well. We kind of argued all the time. And so that was kind of a low point for me, I would say. But things got better. Uh, the winter, I got a new companion and winter eventually stopped. And I was ready to work so hard after winter stopped because there's just so much you can do during the winter. So it's finally spring started and summer started and I went to a new area and I worked really hard in that area. And I would even say that area was actually one of the hardest areas because of some other external factors, like the, just the area it was that we were located in. But just for the fact that I was able to work really hard and able to talk to a lot of people, I learned a lot as a missionary. I learned a lot of how to teach people on how to deal with problems that I have. And I really enjoyed it. So I would say that's one of the highs of my mission too. But then it kind of just goes in that cycle where where it's going to be hard and maybe you're not as motivated. So you're not going to work as hard because... And, and then you got times where, you know, it's sunny outside, there are people outside, so you're more motivated to work and you're working harder. 
And I would say, I'd also say that, you know, it's really hard for a missionary to work really hard all the time, just to go 100% all the time. And so what happens is you just get these kind of cycles where you're working really hard, but then it gets really hard to work hard, if you know what I mean. And then you may need your companion to help motivate you, to drag you along. But then it might be switched like a couple months later where you're helping your companion work hard. You're trying to get him to do everything that we need to do as missionaries for that day. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. I wanted to talk more about your call to North Dakota because for a lot of the missionaries in your generation, visas and things like that held up ultimately going to where you were called, right? Mm-hmm. And for you, the there is a connection to North Dakota. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and what you found out? Yeah, yeah. So, so when I originally got called, it only said, you know, Japan, Tokyo, North Mission. And it wasn't until the MTC where I got the reassignment called in North Dakota. But what was really cool about North Dakota was that's where my dad served his mission as well. For him, it was called the Rapid City South Dakota Mission. But ever since I got a temple in Bismarck, it's been called the Bismarck North Dakota Mission. But it's the same exact mission. Maybe it's gotten a little smaller, but it's the same exact mission. And so it was really great to go to the same place my dad went. I was really... I was able to understand what his mission experience was a lot more, even though I'm pretty sure a lot of things changed because of the the oil booms in North Dakota. And we even got, we have like the same picture at the, like at a Paul Bunyan and Ox and Babe, the Blue Ox statue in Bemidji, Minnesota. They have, you know, they had one of those statue things and he took a picture when he was a missionary there. And so did I. So we, we literally can just put the pictures right next to each other and be like, oh, hey, look, that's me, that's you, same place, 50 years in the future. Yeah. So that's pretty cool, too. I really like that part. That's super cool. Hopefully not 50 years. I don't know. That's, <laughs> it's a big gap. But. <laughs> that's too far. That's too far. <laughs> we just, yeah, sorry, Steve. Yeah, we just uh, aged you a little little unfairly, but... um. So that is really cool, though. I, I I wanted to talk with you more about how maybe the mission helped you connect with family in different ways, too. But and feel free, Javin, anybody else here that's a guest host to jump in as we ask questions about Abrams' mission. I, I was curious about North Dakota in general because it's not, I mean, I don't know, maybe Lexi, Javin, you visited. I have not visited North Dakota. I have no clue what the environment's like. And just tell us more what the areas you lived in were like, what the people, uh, what your experience was with them. Hmm. Yeah. So other than Minnesota, I spent most of my time in North Dakota in these pretty decently sized towns, probably 80,000 in each town. And the town was mainly people who were there for oil, trying to haul oil, drill oil all the oil business things, right? And the cold, it gets really cold there for like nine months out of the year. And that cold kind of does things to people. Um, you know, weather the, weathers them a little bit. It makes them a little bit more tough, a little bit more uh, standoffish. And so the initial interactions you have with strangers there can be kind of awkward and not too friendly. But what I learned is they'll warm up to you 
if you can just keep talking to them, get to know them more, they're going to open up to you and they'll warm up to you a lot more. And there are some really nice people in North Dakota. They just, you just got to give them a second to know you and to get to know you and things like that. A lot of, everybody there is, it's fairly Christian. It's a fairly Christian state. So a lot of people already knew God and knew who Jesus Christ was. And so it was great because we could kind of agree on who Jesus Christ is, right? And we'd say we both believe. And then we could get into the more more complicated or the more nitty-gritty parts of the gospel that people disagree on, yeah. which I really liked. I thought that was really fun. And, you know, a lot of people didn't agree with what we believed, our church believed. And so there was a lot of churches, like in my last area in Minot, North Dakota, there's, you know, like 80,000 people, but there was quite a few churches and quite a f- majority, majority, half of those people went to those churches. And it was weird to see because I got to be in that area for three months and I worked really hard in that area. It's one of my favorite areas in North Dakota, but I got to get to, I got to, th- I got to get to know a few of the pastors, like mm. some of them had us over for dinner. And I even went to a, like a play, like a, it was called at Heaven's Gate and Hell's Flames play. It's like a Christianity play. But what was weird about it is every other church in that town was supporting and funding this play, except for our church is what it seemed like. Maybe there was a few other ones, but that's what it seemed like. And it really felt like all of these churches were against our church. But even with that said, they were really nice to us. I mean, we went to the play, right? The only thing was is the main head pastor that was in charge of the play just came up to us because we were in like our missionary attire and just said, hey, thanks for coming. I know who you are. I know how this works. Just don't proselyte. Don't talk about your religion here at this play, please. Um, And we'll all get along. Something like that. And we were like, okay, sounds good. We will do that because we just wanted to see the play. It's something we've never <laughs> yeah, seen. You tell me to take a break for two hours. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. That's good. And so that was really interesting. But like I said, they were all pretty nice. It's just kind of weird how kind of got these different sides to to the city. Where yeah, it sounds like overall, like a believing in religious people, um, mm-hmm. a lot of people that you met. Which we'll talk a little bit about Japan going forward, which was a, a different situation culturally in a lot of ways, right? And and from a religious standpoint as well. I did want to, you did tell us a story. I, I think this was either at the fireside we did with the priests or it might have been during your talk when you came back. Mm-hmm. But you had an investigator in North Dakota that you had a really good experience with her. I don't think she ever got baptized. That Maybe there's an update to that, but... Just maybe tell us more about her. and Yeah, I should definitely check in with her because I, I don't know if she has or not in the last year. But yeah, and that was in the same city, Minot, North Dakota. We we were tr- tracting, we were housing, and we met a, an older woman who at first didn't seem interested in. But like, like I said, after we got to know her a little bit better, she opened up to us and she let us come back a couple more times, or a lot more times, but... Maybe I'll just, I'll first say that when we first met her, she really wasn't interested in talking to us. But then she started to explain how her kids were not really believing in God anymore. And they were scientists, right? Who believed in science. 
And I happened to be going through the like inspirational videos like a couple days ago, a couple days before that. And there's a video about scientists believing in God, telling, explaining how it's okay to be a scientist and to believe in God. So I showed her the video just on a doorstep on my phone really fast before she could like tell us to go away. And she really, she was like, okay, that's cool. I just wish my kids would see this. And, and, you know, we talked to her, we were like, of course, we want to help you out. We want to help your kids. And we got to know her a little bit better. And then, then she was like, okay, I'm kind of busy now, but come back later. We can talk more later. And me and my companion, like, you know, breathe a sigh of relief. We're like, oh, okay, we'll come back later. You know, she's going to let us come back. This is awesome. And we, we did come back. And we mostly sat out on her porch because she was kind of too embarrassed to let us inside her little home, which is fine. Um, her porch was really nice anyways. And it was during the summer, so it was really good evenings. And we gave her the Book of Mormon. We explained what it was. We kind of told her a little bit more about us, like a, what we do as missionaries, what we teach. And then the next time we came over, she, she read a little bit of the Book of Mormon and she loved it. It was awesome because her whole kind of demeanor changed from somebody who was a little standoffish to somebody who was really excited to see us, somebody who really wanted to read more about this Book of Mormon. She had so many more questions about the Book of Mormon. It was the best thing ever because that's exactly what you like to see as a missionary. That's like the missionary dream is give somebody the Book of Mormon and have them be super excited about it the next time you visit and because the, they actually read it, right? And so... It was great because then we were able to answer any of her questions. We were able to read the Book of Mormon together and keep teaching her. And now she's like really interested. She's she's really sincere about it too. She she just wants to know the truth, right? Or she just wants to know what this is. And so she was hungry for it. And so just, yeah, sitting out on her porch in the summer evenings in Minot, North Dakota, we had some really great experiences teaching her. Really felt the spirit and... She really felt the spirit and she started coming to church, but there were, she just wasn't able to get baptized. So, yeah. And, and sometimes it's, you're not the person to do that, you know, but I mm. think there's a really good takeaway there in the fact that, you know, it's not always the first interaction with somebody. Sometimes you may meet somebody and, you know, it feels like there's not a lot of interest there. Um, specifically, you know, about sharing the gospel, but, you know, even just in personal relationships, you know, maybe it just doesn't click the first time, but, mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that that door is shut forever. So I, I thought yeah. that was really cool. I, I enjoyed that story quite a bit. Um, I wanted to turn the time over to Javin a bit because before, you know, what a lot of people know now is before the show, we'll have kind of a pre-show meeting where we'll go over some of the stories from your life and, we were, Javin and I were just talking about how different, you know, things can be in Japan and culturally and otherwise mm -hmm. and, and what that experience would have been like. I don't, Javin, you want to take over for a bit? <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> we were just talking about how in Abram's talk that he gave in his homecoming, how he talked about how sometimes the people in Japan, uh, if I'm understanding right, uh, have a hard time even grasping Mm. what a heavenly father is or what God yeah. is. Mm -hmm. And so um, something that came to my mind to kind of ask a follow-up question was, or is there any other cultural type differences or things that uh, 
you had to encounter that either caught you by surprise or you had to adjust and be like, oh, I'm American. <laughs> you know, like, I don't understand. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that, that was, yeah, I was kind of interested in that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, there were a few times I was like, I'm American. I don't understand anything. <laughs> um, of course, with the language. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so they just, I mean, Japanese people are really amazing. I really love them. But like you said, they they had a trouble kind of understanding certain aspects of Christianity that they just weren't familiar with. Something that was always really hard was for them to understand that, like you said, like it was hard for them to grasp the Heavenly Father who had a body who loved them. Because mm-hmm. their religion is either Shintoism or Buddhism, mm-hmm. which both of those kind of deal with like spirits or like entities that are their god like for example mount fuji Mm -hmm. um sometimes there's a church in japan i wouldn't say it's a church but it's you know it's it's like a church they they kind of worship mount fuji because they believe that mount fuji has a like a god living within it that protects the mountain and protects that part of japan Mm -hmm. and it totally makes sense to me but that's kind of like what their thoughts of God are on. Another thing that really was different was how they're not really focused on the afterlife, life after death, which kind of caught me by surprise because they're more worried about the here and now and about this life. Like they are more worried about mm, just trying to find happiness here on this life and trying to become a better person, mm-hmm. which is great. You know, mm-hmm. like we still talk about and try to help people do those things. But those other bigger questions like where do I go after I die or stuff like that, they weren't really, they weren't asking those questions and they weren't trying to find answers to those questions. They really weren't trying to find answers to to how to be happy either or how to become a better person. Because the way their culture is set up, they kind of have their own ideas about how to become a better person. And they're not wrong. You know, it's, it's simple. It's really great things like be a nice person, try to do nice things, don't steal. Like a lot it's really similar to Christian values, but the difference is is that it came about in a different way. Cuz from like the United States, the way we have all these values like don't steal, you know, all the how the way our laws are set up is kind of by Christianity, right? This this country was kind of built on Christianity. Well, Japan never had Christianity, but they still have a lot of the similar values as we do mm-hmm. in the United States. And they are really proud of that fact. And so they kind of feel like they don't need Christianity and they don't need those kind of answers or those kind of teachings. So they they didn't really want to listen to us because of it. And I was just going to mention also, I've never been to North Dakota. I never served a mission there or anything like that. But my understanding of the it's so cold there that you know in those months that they're inside a lot and so i was i would assume the word of wisdom would be one of those things that would be really hard to uh, you know have people acknowledge first of all <laughs> that we need to be doing so is that something that you guys encountered as a difficulty when proselyting or teaching mm. Some of it was. I was actually really surprised because alcohol wasn't a huge problem. 
Oh, really? Most people understood that alcohol is bad for you yeah. and you shouldn't drink it. Yeah. And so they understand that. Like, they acknowledge that and they want to stop. Yeah. But like you said, there's not a lot to do. Yeah. So it's hard for them to stop and it's hard for them not to do it. Yeah. But it was easy. It wasn't, it was, you know, they understood that it was bad. Mm-hmm. Something that was a little harder was smoking. I remember a few times where, I, or a couple of times where I was like, you can't smoke anymore. Like, if you're trying to become a better person, smoking is really bad for you. And they're like, oh, okay, I'll stop. <laughs> but then like next week they have another pack of cigarettes. It's like, yeah. Come on guys. It's hard. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. Oh, it's, yeah, it's really hard. And I get it. It's really hard, but that was a lot harder than alcohol for sure. It's the cigarettes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I think there was, there was some other spiritual experiences on your mission that um, we were going to talk about Javin. Yeah. The, I think a couple of members that were confirmed member of the church. I'll let you get to it, but yeah. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. yeah I, uh, just when we were going over your notes, I just wanted to ask you to like maybe elaborate on, uh, you wrote down something more spiritual, uh, was a missionary. I confirmed these two girl members of the church and I really felt the Lord telling me what to say for the blessing. Mm. And, uh, you know, I've been a part of a few blessings and we were kind of just talking about how, that can be really special, and I'm assuming mm. maybe your first blessing was on on your mission, uh, where you did that um, and was able to perform that ordinance. Just uh, how did you prepare for it, and uh, how would it what what did you do to to have that blessing be so special? Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think it was my first time giving a blessing. Like, uh-huh. I think I've given a laying on a hands blessing before, mm-hmm. but it was my first time confirming members of the church gotcha Mm -hmm. and so yeah so i'll just tell you if there's two girls they were probably 16 17 years old i think the situation was their grandparents were members but not their parents and they had lots of friends in the church so they wanted to get baptized right and i wasn't the one to teach them actually it was the sisters in my ward that taught them yeah but they for some reason wanted me to confirm the members of the church which I was like, okay, great. I'm happy to do that. Um, I was a little nervous for it, but what I, I wanted it to be a good experience. I wanted to take it really seriously. And so what I did was for that Sunday morning and like Saturday night, I fasted, kind of like a 24-hour fast. And I prayed a lot that morning. And I, you know, in those prayers, I was asking Heavenly Father to really help me comfort these girls and really help me say some good advice maybe that could help them be members of the church. Because at this point, I've been on my mission. I've been in the field for about three months. So I understood the difficulties members were having in North Dakota. And of course, I really wanted them to be strong members of the church. And I really wanted them to have the help that they needed. And so, like I said, I fasted and I prayed and so that day at church, when I went up to do it, I think I was ready. I was in the right mindset and I was I fasted. So I felt the spirit. And so I started the blessing. I confirmed the members of the church. And then after that, I just tried to feel Heavenly Father's love for them and tried to kind of be a mouthpiece for Heavenly Father. Because what I understood at the time then was Heavenly Father loves these people. And so I'm sure he might want to send them some kind of message, right? Mm-hmm. And so I was trying to do that for them. I was trying to be that person for Heavenly Father. Yeah. 
And I, I think I, re- I really felt the spirit and I really felt what I was saying wasn't coming from me, but was coming from Heavenly Father for both of the blessings. Very cool. And so I, I thought it was really great. And I think that it really helped. Right? I think it helped comfort the, the two girls. So, yeah. I wanted to jump around a little bit here because I know Lexi's got a time commitment too. Um, mm-hmm. But you did have a question that I think is relevant here, Lexi, about just preparation because I think getting ready for a blessing, you know, is, is a matter of preparing, like you were saying, Abram, spiritually to be able to have the spirit as a companion and, and, allow you to be a mouthpiece for God, like you were talking about. Lexi, what did what did you want to ask Abram about? As a youth in the church, I think there have been a lot of great opportunities that the church has provided um, to prepare youth to become great missionaries and just great adults, such as life prep or mission prep, um, mm-hmm. FSY, just activities, and then just all that individual, like scripture study, prayer. I just want to know what, um, what really helped you before you were in your mission, you're like, you're really glad that you did that or built that habit or what do you wish you could have done differently um, to have prepared yourself? So when it comes to like making food or like buying food and budgeting, I don't know. I was I was already pretty good at budgeting my money. And of course, it's work to make food, but I did it. I, I wasn't somebody who had a really a big problem with that. And I also thankfully read and studied the Book of Mormon before my mission which is something I'm really, really grateful for because almost every elder that I met while on the mission, well, at least most of my companions, I shouldn't say every elder I met, but most of my companions never really read the Book of Mormon before their mission. It really helped me appreciate the fact that I took the time to read the Book of Mormon and to understand it, to get a testimony of it, to know that it was the Word of God, so that way I could testify it to people right off the bat in North Dakota. Um, You know, I would talk to my other companions and they would talk about how it was a really tough decision for them to go on a mission or they had to start from scratch with the Book of Mormon. It seemed really difficult. It seemed really good because they, now that they were on the mission, were able to get a really firm testimony of the Book of Mormon. But I'm just really glad I was able to learn about it or study it and pray and read it before the mission. What else would I wish I would have done differently? Honestly, so the way it worked, I don't know. So I know I graduated in 2020 and then COVID happened. So my original plan was just to go on a mission right after I graduated high school. But I didn't really want to do that because of COVID and for the fact that I might just be stuck inside inside all day. And I don't think that really, I don't think I would have been able to do that. It seemed really difficult. But I still don't think I was really quite ready to go on a mission, even waiting a year. I was ready for some of the things, but one of the things that was really hard for me as a missionary was just following the rules, the missionary rules. And I think if I would have waited another year to go, I would have been a lot, it would have been a lot easier for me to follow those rules and to help other missionaries follow those rules. Because what ended up happening is I hadn't, kind of like my companions try to help me out with the rules and so instead of me being somebody that helped other people I was kind of like one of the people that needed to be helped and so what I really wish was different was is I could be one of those people that could help other people and it wasn't until probably the last six months of my mission where I really kind of understood what the rules were for and I started following all of them and I started 
I, I don't, maybe it's because I was already an older missionary, but I, I just worked harder and I was able to make deeper connections with people too. And I was just, just a little bit more mature of a, of a missionary, of a person. So I kind of wish I waited another year before I left on a mission. What uh, rules were like hard for you to follow? Well, waking up at six thirty was really difficult for me. <laughs> I was gonna say <laughs> it, it sounds like when you hear it, it sounds bad until you realize like if you've been on a mission, the rules are tough. There's like a lot of specific rules that you would not follow in your everyday life. Yeah, exactly. So it's not like it's these. I'm doing these terrible things, but yeah. it's just, I'm just doing different things that I didn't do before the mission. It reminds me a bit of like FSY. Like at FSY, everything was very by the schedule. This is what you're doing. And it was like you were constantly obeying these things. And it wasn't like something that was necessarily extraordinarily like hard to follow. But it's like I wasn't going to, I wasn't turning my lights off at 1030 at my house in the summertime. But at FSY, if you didn't have your lights off, they're like, we're kicking you out. So it was just <laughs> like definitely a bit of an adjustment. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. So, like, waking up at 6.30 and at 10.30 was difficult for me. Another weird rule is you're not supposed to bring your phone into the bathroom when you use the restroom. Mm -hmm. That was kind of difficult for me because it felt like nobody in my mission trusted me with my phone. And so it was difficult for me to follow that rule. And so, yeah, just small things like that. Just don't bring your phone into the bathroom, wake up on time, or... At least in North Dakota. I just, I'm trying to remember, there were times that I remember that I fought with my trainer about certain rules, but that was such a long time ago. I can't really remember them. I remember them all. Did you keep a journal? Mm, I tried to. I kept the journal throughout most of the MTC, which was nine weeks for me. And then I, it was just every once in a while I would write throughout in when I was in the field in North Dakota in, in Japan or there would be really big moments in my mission I would write like at my six month mark when I went to Japan you know transitioning stuff like that I think Owen wants to jump in and ask a question He's he's been chomping at the bit for this okay so how is it learning a new language oh yeah because you oh, and, yeah. and this was in the middle of your mission too you're in North Dakota and then all of a sudden you find out you're going to Japan yeah, yeah, it was kind of crazy because my whole life changed. My whole missionary life changed. It was like your life gets changed when you be first become a missionary and then a year in, I got it changed again. But in the MTC, you know, we learn a little bit of Japanese. That's what we do for actually seven weeks of the MTC is just learning Japanese, basically. But then I forget, I forgot all of that because I was in North Dakota for 10 months and I didn't use it at all. And so when I came to Japan, I kind of had to relearn everything from scratch. What was great about it was I've already been a missionary for almost a year at that point. And so I already knew kind of how to work hard. I knew how to deal with difficult situations. So it really helped me just motivate myself to work hard and learn the language. The first couple, like, mm, the first three months in Japan, I worked really hard. I was trying to memorize vocabulary every day. And that's basically all it was for me. It was memorizing. I got up to the point where I was doing 30 words a day. So that was really hard to keep up. And I would do that. And then I would do a couple grammar patterns. So like how to use the words like, like, like the lion is like a fox, you know, that kind of grammar. And maybe some other grammar points. I would do the vocab and the grammar every day. And then if I had time, I would also do listening practice. 
or read. Like I would read really simple kids books or listen to like the Japanese news or something like that. And I kept that up for about the first three months, but then it got really hard to be memorizing 30 words a day because I kind of lost, you know, I kind of started to get burnt out. And then after that, I slowed things down and it was more like five to 10 words a day and just trying to work on conversational practices and stuff like that. Were you taking like fluency tests every once in a while on your mission? Well, I was supposed to, um, <laughs> but I just, I, I didn't. I didn't uh -huh. ever do those. And nobody really ever mentioned it to me. My mission president never really said anything. So I didn't really make it a big priority. Yeah. Was there a point where you felt like you were pretty fluent in the language? There were points where I felt like I like made a breakthrough in the language. So like instead of just saying really basic memorized things, I could say little sentences. Or there was a point halfway through Japan where I was like, okay, I can actually hold a conversation now with people on the street while streeting. And then toward the end of my mission, I felt a lot more competent with the language. So just kind of like these levels to it. Oh, awesome. I I was curious with learning the language too. So you're you're in North Dakota. I I just I don't think I've asked you about it, but what's your mentality when you get the the notification that you're going to Japan? Cuz I could see a couple scenarios. I could see one where you're like, "You know what? I'm good. <laughs> I'm I'm I know what the deal is here." Hmm. But I I could also see the excitement of, you know, finally going where you were initially called at I was curious what your mentality was then. Hmm. Right as I was leaving North Dakota? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I really tried to like North Dakota. And I like the people in North Dakota. They're really awesome. But by the time I was about to leave for Japan, it was turning from summer to winter in North Dakota. They don't really have a fall. It just kind of goes straight to winter. So I like really wanted to leave before winter hit. And so there was, yeah, I really wanted to go to Japan because it was something that kind of was on my mind for the past 10 months and something I was really looking forward to. You know, I was kind of sad to leave North Dakota. I was more just really excited. So I didn't, the other harder parts about Japan didn't really hit me until I got to Japan, like learning a new language or like the people are going to be very different, things like that. Not until I got to Japan. Then I was, when I got to Japan, I was like, oh man. This is going to be harder than North Dakota. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's when I put my head down and got to work. I don't know. Was that your question? Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what I was looking for. I, I've known a lot. And, and on my mission, too, a, a big part of our, you know, learning the language, too, is is regularly praying for the gift of tongues. Was, was that a part of your life at all as a missionary? Or what was that like? Yeah, yeah, that was, we, we would always have that in our prayers, praying for the gift of tongue. It's like in Japanese, that's igen no tamemono, gift of tongues. And so we always knew that phrase. Sometimes, not every time I would pray before my personal, no, not, I always prayed before my personal, personal studies, but sometimes before language studies also, times where I really felt like giving up or I didn't really feel like I was learning that much. I would, those are the times where I would be kind of like brought on my knees and just be like, Heavenly Father, I need your help with this. Like, please help me with this. Yeah. And I think it, it does manifest itself, which I think that you're kind of, 
you know, implying there is there are those breakthrough moments, but then there are those moments where you have a setback <laughs> again with the language, right? Yeah, I once said, actually, really, really recently, I once said, I want to be a vegetable instead of <laughs> I want to be a nice person. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's really similar in Japanese for some reason. So, yeah, there were lots of setbacks. Oh, that's so great. And and I, I I honestly love the humility it teaches you, though. That's one thing I learned on my mission, too, is, you know, learning a new language. For one, you're just you're going to mess up and it's going to be very silly, probably. Mm-hmm. But I, I think the other thing is, too, you know, uh, what I learned on top of, like you said, learning the new vocab is uh, I always would leave a house and I would I would ask them to teach me something, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that's not something maybe a lot of us are used to doing is is asking for that help yeah so that was pretty cool yeah because we would me and my companion would just have like some question while we're walking around about the japanese language and we'd be like hey why don't we just ask this guy right here that's just walking next to us or something and yeah. so mid-conversation be like hey we have a question about this like what do you think about this and then they would try to explain it and then, and then we would say like who we are and maybe try to see if they're interested but yeah it just literally like Everybody on the streets just kind of becomes our friends. We we're, we get pretty comfortable with just asking questions to anybody, which is cool. And like what you said, how it could be really silly at times. That's definitely true. Like for me, it was a lot of really basic Japanese and I would mess up and it would be silly. But the Japanese people love that. They roll with that so hard. <laughs> they love to be silly and they love to kind of like laugh like that. And so it was still really fun and they were really patient with us and they loved it. You may have said this in your homecoming talk, but were you mainly in Tokyo? I was not. I was actually in like the northern, north of Tokyo. Okay. Kind of in the countryside most of the time. Oh, cool. For three months in Japan, I was south kind of of Tokyo in Chiba, Mm -hmm. which is like southeast, but it's still way outside of Tokyo. So yeah, I was kind of in just the countryside. Our mission was kind of the, like the armpit of Japan. So Mm-hmm. Nice. It was a Tokyo South mission that had most of Tokyo, like the really famous areas, like Shibuya or Mount Fuji, stuff like that. What are the, what are some of the favorite sites that you visited? Favorite sites? Well, I actually did get the privilege to visit Tokyo Tower, which is kind of like a red version of the Eiffel Tower, but smaller. And well, it's actually almost the same size. That was really fun. It was just really fun because me and my companion actually biked into Tokyo to do that from our house, which was about a two and a half hour bike ride because we were going from our house to the temple, basically. And it was just awesome because we were able to bike straight through downtown Tokyo. And if you love cities, you know, you love that kind of atmosphere, you'd love downtown Tokyo. That's the, that is like the perfect example of like a really busy, massive city. So I really loved that. That was really cool and really fun. Mm, there was also another temple that we were able to visit on the coast in my last area before I left. That was really cool because that was the first time I was able to walk through the entire temple, at least this Japanese temple. I was able to see like the tea rooms, the meeting rooms. And it was great because they had these plaques up of what major generals would come. And these were the rooms where like stuff went down. And so it was just really cool to be there to see it all. Because most of the time that's closed and you can't see that kind of thing. So I loved it. So that's really neat. I wanted to 
shift gears here for a second and talk about what I can only imagine is a funny story. Um, you said that one time Robert, and is this Robert Salgado to confirm, or is this a different Robert? Yeah, this fell is... Fell off a waterfall. This is Robert Salgado. I actually... <laughs> I didn't even ask him if I could share this story, but I think it's uh, okay. he was here earlier. Uh, by the way, breaking down the fifth wall again. Robert Salgado was in this room at some point, and he brought some. What was it? Was it pumpkin bread or banana bread? Banana. Anyway, it was very mm-hmm. good. It yeah. was, I ate it without apparently knowing what it was. Um, but thank you, Robert. So he did say that I think this is fine. So we're we're good. Okay. Yeah. Although, why didn't he share it in his episode? That's um, oh, it was oh, like well. I don't know. It was kind of random, so maybe he just forgot about yeah, it. Yeah, we're but. we're extending the Robert Salgado episode here, and that's what <laughs> it was just so funny because you know the the rock slides out near some part of Oregon. It's like Triangle Lake. Near Triangle, Triangle yeah. Lake. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So we were there, just you know, sliding down the rocks, but then. It was me, Robert, my brother, and then a few of our friends. I think Drew and Greg may have been there. Drew, Boring, and Greg Anderson, maybe. And we decided, you know, why don't we just go upstream and just explore the rest of the creek? Because we've only done a little slide part. So we did that. And when you go upstream just a little bit from there, you find this waterfall. And it's probably about 10 feet. Mm, Yeah, maybe 10 feet waterfall. And so it's pretty tall, and there's a path that goes up it, kind of on the left side of it, if you're facing the waterfall. And the path starts a lot further down, too. So this path kind of follows the stream that goes up to the waterfall. And so you're just going up this path, and you get to the top of the waterfall. And we were like, oh, this is a cool waterfall. And we just kept going. And we got up a little bit further, and then we decided, you know what, we explored a lot. It's cool. It's pretty up here. Let's just turn back now. And so it was when we were coming back is when he fell. And it was, you know, because you you go on this path that's right next to the waterfall to get down. But the first part of the path when you're going back is the same height as the waterfall. And it's also kind of slanted. And there's also, it's kind of wet and moist because of the waterfall. And there's also moss on this path. So it was kind of slippery, right? But we were just walking and not really thinking much of it. And then Robert, we just like, I just hear somebody fall behind me and I turn around. I think I was, yeah. And then I just see Robert just like on the ground. He just like fell on his butt and he, he wasn't moving or anything. And he was like, oh no, I fell. But then he started slipping down the side to the edge. And we were all just like, Robert, no. <laughs> and me and him made eye contact. And I was like, no. And we totally thought he was going to die. But um, then he, he just slipped off the edge. And he landed in the little, the little creek part, which is probably like a foot and a half wide and like a foot deep. So it really didn't do anything to stop his fall. But it was like a, like a big 10-foot fall. Oh. Um, and luckily, he didn't break anything. He just landed on some some awkwardly placed rocks and bruised up his legs pretty badly. But yeah, the first thing he started saying was like, I'm okay, I'm okay, don't worry. <laughs> and we like got down there and helped him up and stuff. And yeah, didn't break anything. So he was lucky. Oh, man. Okay, I'm glad I finally heard the waterfall story. So I feel like I've heard that before somewhere from someone. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've yeah. not heard it from anyone. So that is a new <laughs> story for me. Oh, I'm glad Robert was okay. And it, you just have stuff happen like that if you go hiking and stuff like that enough. But it's, yeah, like it's, we talk about it sometimes. Well, before the mission, we would talk about it sometimes. Well, I'm glad Robert survived because we got some banana bread out of it today. So, you know, we're. <laughs> and we had a podcast episode. Yeah, we did. Absolutely. Yeah, that's good. On the back of the sheet here, you talk about uh, one thing you loved about being a missionary was working together with another missionary as a team. Oh, yeah. That's kind of, we kind of learned about that in encampment this year. I was with Sam Boreen, who we just interviewed on the podcast. Me and him were a group, but he had to leave early. So, yeah, it was a really fun experience because we got to learn how to do scripture study. I was just wondering uh, what that experience was like for you. Like doing scripture study with other missionaries? Or, or just like, working with them in general. I was just working. Yeah, it was fun. It's it's like a team. Like, did you have you played any sports? Yeah. What What do you do? I do football. I'm gonna start track this year. Nice. And I played soccer last year. Yeah. So it's it's literally the same feeling. You and a group of guys are just working towards this this one goal, which is um, to help people come closer to Christ and to get them to come to church. And but instead of sports instead of what you're doing on a mission is kind of like you kind of hype it up to be like good against evil. Like we're doing, we're on the right side trying to fight devil, basically stuff like that. And so it's great because we get to problem solve together. Like, oh, this person, this person's not coming to church. They got this or this is going on. Or like, we'll come together and be like, how can we get this person to read the Book of Mormon? And then other elders or sisters would be like, oh, you can do this. You could try this. And then what's really fun too is going on exchanges with uh, the leaders, like a district leader or zone leader, just other elders who are kind of above you. And in Japan, it was great because the two sets would both serve or work in the same area. And so you can kind of divide and conquer, like this person is gonna go to this lesson, this companionship's gonna do this. And because you have two people in one area, what ends up happening is you end up finding a lot of people to teach or you end up putting somebody, um, committing somebody to baptism. And so it, and at the end of the night, you all come back to the same apartment and you spend the night and you're like super excited about the work you guys did that day. And, you know, you just kind of celebrate. So it's pretty fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like winning a game, you know, you celebrate with the team. I was interested. This is a topic that's come up fairly often. I think during Robert's episode too, you know, the mission, you just learned so much about being with another person 24 seven and and getting along with a variety of different personalities. And I think, you know, fair enough, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I think you you get with some companions where it's just not, it doesn't feel like a great fit, right? (laughs) Yes. What, What did you learn in the course of your mission about, um, just learning to be adaptable and get along with a variety of people. That was, yeah, a really big part of what I learned on the mission was just getting along with people, trying to adapt to what they wanted to do. I had 16 companions, which actually I think is pretty average, but it's kind of a lot still. And so and I a couple trios in there as well, but... For me, it was really, I kind of fought and argued with a lot of my companions about what we wanted to do for the day. Like, you know, we want to go here to street or we want to go here to knock on people's doors and stuff. Most of the time, I was 
in terms of like their personality, the type of person they are. I was like, oh, this is, they're cool. This is, this is fine. You know, no problems. But there were at least like two times, two of my companions where we, we would have hated each other outside of the mission. We would have not have liked each other, hanging out with each other, things like that. And those companions were really hard to get along with. And it really, well, the first one I tried really hard and it helped me, it just helped me grow some more patience. And the thing was, it's not like he was right and I was right or wrong. It was just, we didn't like each other. Mm-hmm. So like both of the things we we're saying could have been right, but we didn't care because we didn't like each other. And so it really helped me understand that there's going to be a lot of times like that where I just not going to like the person. So I'm going to think they're wrong. But what they want to do is probably fine. It's probably good. It's just the fact that I don't really want to do it because it's the, that person's making the suggestion. And so that's what's really what I learned from those kind of companionships is they what they want to do is probably great. I yeah. just don't like them. I think, you know, I'm, what I'm understanding is you just stepping back, being objective. And if if it was anybody else saying this, would I object or have any kind of a problem? Right. Mm-hmm. And so I, that's really cool. That's cool that you were able to kind of mature in that way. I'm curious, too. I mean, Javin, because we talk about your work life quite a bit and. I mean, you also have several kids at home that, but you know, it, it's a, you know, I, I'm sure you juggle getting along with a variety of different people throughout your life too. Um, and, and working in the market you do, I think you deal with a variety of different personality types. So just curious if you could share things that you've learned or, or haven't learned. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, no, um, that did bring up something I used to talk about <clears throat> quite, quite a bit, especially in college was the Myers-Briggs <clears throat> test i don't even know what it is where you're like i'm an introvert sensor like, thinker feeler oh, yeah. there's like 16 different different personality types uh-huh. and we used to always talk about well you're a infj so i'm never mm-hmm. gonna get along with you or whatever like yeah. my, my personality type's not gonna no not gonna work with that but you know um so yeah and every day i'm sure you were dealing with multiple people and companions or transfers or whatever was going on. I feel so bad for one of my companions. <laughs> There's a chance where I just like gave up on the whole like making good relationships with my companion <laughs> thing. Yeah. I was just like, I don't even care anymore. I don't want to do this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel so bad for him, but yeah. And so were you able to get over that or? Well, yeah. Cause I was only with him for a transfer. So oh, well, there you go. Perfect. <laughs> I was, and I, I got the next guy I got was somebody I loved. So, yeah. and was, uh, was the difference, uh, a personality issue or was it the sh- decision issue? If it was personality, was it that, uh, that they were introverted and you were extroverted? Was it mm. like, uh, they, when you guys were having discussions, was it off of feelings that they were having and you were like the more logical thing is this was it more mm. like like that or was yeah, it kind of like or were they personality or behavioral and, yeah yeah were they more structured and you're like mm. let's see how it goes well at this point i was i was kind of okay with doing any th- sort of missionary method mm-hmm. i was like yeah we can do that i was pretty open to that idea yeah it was more about the type of person he was his personality I don't know. I, I I just didn't really get along with him. We had different views or mm-hmm. different opinions on certain aspects of the gospel. Yeah. And for me, he kind of just came off of somebody who was really proud of himself and really kind of stuck up, which 
the weird, it was hard for me because like any other missionary I would talk to about him, they didn't see that at all. So I didn't, I didn't really understand it. And so it was just, I don't know. I, I just wasn't in the mood that whole transfer to try to like compromise with, or just, I compromised with him, but I wasn't nice about it. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't nice yeah. to him that well, that much. And so that's really what it was. It was, it was just me being mean to him because yeah. I didn't like him. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I could definitely see why you wouldn't. But I mean, in my work life, I always try to think back like, hey, I know this person may not mesh with me. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to, I need to get this result. I know that and I try to process all this pretty quickly, mm -hmm. especially when I mean somebody new or we're going through a tough situation. And, uh, and yeah, like you said, we're, we're dealing with stuff like that all the time. You probably mm -hmm. will in your future, <laughs> you know? And so, so yeah. Um, one thing uh, that you wrote down that I thought was kind of interesting on your sheet. The question was, what is the most interest interesting thing you're learning about currently? And you wrote, I'm not really learning about anything right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so before uh, we started recording, Abram and I, Abram and I were kind of talking about his future plans. And it sounds like you're uh, going to start learning at, uh, you know, Oregon State University. And uh, I just maybe people would want to hear about what your plans are and your, you know, near future. Yeah. Yeah. So I took I took this question very literally. <laughs> I was like, you know, I'm not going to school. I'm not doing anything. Right so I'm laugh. literally not yeah, about totally. anything. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, my plan is just to work until the fall of 2024 next year, where I tend to, where I plan to attend Oregon State University, going into their engineering programs. Um, but for now, I'm just trying to work, trying to get a job that pays well. That's what I'm doing. I, yeah. I really don't have any other plans other than that. Like, I don't know what my job is going to be yet yeah. or things like that. Cool. Mm. And then do you want me to ask the color question? Because oh. it is very interesting. Let's let's do the color question. It's fine. You, you go for it. Question. Okay. Yeah, I guess. Oh, oh the color question. Yeah. yeah. Why is your favorite color hunter green? Mm, I really like green. Um and it's and it's because we live in Oregon because everything here is green, and so I grew up loving that. But there is one color shade of green that I don't like. I don't know what it's called, but I don't like it. Lime green. <laughs> I don't know. Mm, kind of. It's kind of like that. It's a lighter shade of green. But I, so I was like, okay, I need to be specific about my color so that many people don't get it wrong. They don't do the one that I don't like. Mm. So hunter green is the one that I looked up is the one that I like the most. It's just like a dark green. It's kind of a, it's almost like an army green. <laughs> yeah. It's just a dark green. So I, I, I like it. Well, I think what we're going to do for the rest here. So Owen has one more question. We're about ready to wrap. We're going to do a pick of the week. We're just going to do a pick of the week today. I don't know why. That was my idea, I guess. And then we'll do final question. So, Owen, what, what question did you have? Okay. So, were there any parts of your mission where you just felt like you didn't want to keep on going and you felt like giving up? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was a few times like that. Well, when I was in Japan, like kind of what we were talking about earlier, the Japanese people don't want to really listen to what we have to say. So there'd be days where we would be out streeting in a really busy area and maybe we try to talk to, let's say we try to talk to like 200 people and we have like 50 conversations, but like 
these conversations don't go anywhere, right? And so they don't really want to meet with us. They don't really want to do anything with us, you know. And you know, we try to approach like 200 people, and a lot of them are just like, "No, no, thank you, I'm good." And it would be like that for days, just that. And so there was a time where it was like that for literally like a week, and. We, you know, it was it was really hard to go out shooting because we knew nobody was gonna really want to do anything with us. Nobody was gonna want to listen, and so that was a time where I really felt like what we're doing isn't working. Maybe we should just give up, try something else. So we we actually did kind of start doing other things in shooting because you know there's more things to do than shooting, and it was actually shortly after that moment. We had a really great experience shooting. It's kind of we decided to go shooting on our P day, and switch our P day to a Saturday so we could go with our ward to the temple. And so on that day, we it was perfect. We found somebody who said, "Here, wait a second. I need to go do something, but then I'm going to come back and we're going to talk about the gospel." We're like, "Okay, that sounds great." And so we came. He came back, and then we went to a cafe nearby. And we literally taught him the restoration lesson on the first contact for like an hour, and it was a Japanese man who was, you know, just on the street by the train station, and that really, you know, boosted our morale, really helped us keep going, and really helped us try harder. So yeah, there was a time when I was really discouraged and felt like giving up. Yeah, and I think what I'm learning too is, you know, God. Sometimes things will be uncomfortable,、um, and it, it's when we're feeling that discomfort for a little while that the, he shows up, and we can really see his hand in our life. Were there any scriptures or any just stories that help to pull you through it when you are going through those struggles? Because I, I think we all go through it, and you know, after the mission, there, there's other ways we can feel like we want to quote unquote quit, right? Quit our job, quit going to church, right? <laughs> yep. There's a lot of things we can we can feel I don't know discouraged about,、um, and I I could go down you know and share some things for me, but anything for you in particular, you know, stories or scriptures that really help you in those trying times. Well, I really like Alma thirty two, the story of about faith, and I really loved Alma thirty two twenty seven, that just talks about even if you have a desire to believe, work on that desire. But for me as a missionary, I really read it as even if you have a desire to work as a missionary, desire、oh. to go talk to people, just do it. Try your just, just go out and try. And so that really helped me just go out there and do it, to get out there and start it. Um, I really love that scripture. That's one of my favorite scriptures. There was something my uncle said too before I left on my mission, which is exactly what you were saying. The Lord, you see the most miracles, or the Lord will help you. In like the 80th hour of like the the last day, you know, just just when you're ready to give up, just when you've put in all your effort, the Lord will help you, and we'll see miracles. So that I、uh, that also came to my mind too when I throughout my mission. Cool.、Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's great. I I like that too. Even if you have a desire to believe, I I think there are multiple applications there, and I even a silly one. I'm just thinking of. I I know we've used this before, but. 
you know, starting a good habit, like going to the gym, sometimes it's like, I just need to show up at the gym today. (laughs) Yeah. And maybe I'm just going to work out for five minutes, but usually not, you know, and I think that missionary work could be like that. I think our jobs can be like that. I think our callings can be that way a lot. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. And God supports us when we show up. I think that's a promise we're getting from that scripture and others, you know. Mm-hmm. That's what's awesome about Alma 32 too, is it's it it's about faith, but you can apply it to any part of the gospel because it's talking about obtaining the fruit for doing anything. So you, if you put it faith into any part of the gospel, you can get that fruit back. Mm-hmm. So it's great because it applies to anything. Awesome. All right, I think we should do our pick of the week here. So one okay. question for, for at least people that have been on the show either as a guest or a guest host, they know we ask about, you know, what you would do on a perfect day or if time weren't an issue. And what you wrote here is like a sequence of events that I would love to do, which is read, play video games, bake, cook, work out, <laughs> eat. Just seems like a cycle you could repeat. Yeah. Um, and we were talking about, you know, one thing, you come back on from the mission and you start playing some video games, I imagine. Um so I want to go through a pick of the week here and, and each of us share our pick of the week. Um, I'm going to share mine first and then we'll go to Abram. But I am going to say I am playing Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. <laughs> nice. And it is awesome. And I strongly recommend it. If you liked Breath of the Wild, this is like the same type of energy, but twice as vast of a game and just super fun. So that's my pick of the week. What about you, Abram? Okay, so my pick of the week is a game I've been playing a lot lately. It's a horror game, so I don't really recommend it. Uh, this is a good time of year. I mean, Halloween time. <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely 18 and up, but it's called Sons of the Forest. It's it's like you... It's a great game. You, you just try to survive in a forest while these monsters that look like people try to attack you. And maybe there's cannibals in it. Um, okay. But... Like I said, so is that a? Are you playing that alone in the dark? Are are you? Um, I play that that level of bravery. No, I play that with a few friends. Cool. Like it's a multiplayer game. Oh, I got you, got you. That's cool. But it's great. Like the the way you build and craft is awesome. It's you don't really play it for the horror. You play it to just build and cool things in the forest. I think. Awesome. Yeah. What about Levi Owen? You got a pick of the week. You ever play Seven Days to Die? Uh, no. I haven't. It's just like zombie survival game where you have seven days. You have seven days to build up your base before like this whole horde of zombies tries to kill you. My band teacher is like obsessed and he's playing it with his sons right now. But it's it's got the building aspect of Minecraft, but it's also like a first person shooter. Mm. So you're you have seven days every week. There's still zombies before the seven days, but you have seven days before this huge horde of zombies shows up at your base. So you have to figure out the best way to just kill them all. And Owen, who's hanging out with Javin over here. I think Javin's one of your favorite adults, by the way. I'll just say that. Is it because he he lets you beat him at chess? or doesn't let me. <laughs> he doesn't let you. <laughs> oh, I'm going to get him one day. Maybe. Maybe. Oh, and do you have a pick? Off, he'll have an off day. Do you have a pick of the week or? Uh, probably. I also like playing Tears of the Kingdom and also Chess.com. Okay, Chess.com. Chess. That's a good pick. Yeah. 
What about you, Jevin? You got to pick. Do you play video games much? Or, I play or... video games not okay. as much as I used to, but I'm yeah, kind same of a, here. Same kind here. Kind of a trilogy guy of Madden, 2K, FIFA. Those are kind of my go-to's. Right so on, if I right on. think of a week, it's one of those three. Okay, I'm. What I'm excited about is the new NCAA football game that's coming out oh, next year. Yeah, that's going to be fun. Happened since 2014. I know. Yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's let's go to our final question. So Owen's got the duties today for the final question. And I do want to say let's think in the context of you know your mission and coming home and and how you've changed and let's go owen let's let's get the final question okay Mm. what role had being a member of the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints played in you developing a relationship with christ being a member of the church led me to serve a mission no i was taught about jesus christ when i was young because i joined the church when i was young and so i think the church had just been a really good facilitator for my beliefs in Christ. I think as I got older, I kind of figured some stuff out on my own. Like I said, I would read the Book of Mormon a lot. All right. I would read it most of the time, yeah. And so I think the church just really helped put, point me in the right direction. And it helped me understand who Jesus Christ was. Then I served a mission too, which, which is where I learned a lot about Jesus Christ and what he did for us, his atonement. And I really came to understand that the atonement isn't just for us to repent, but it's it's for it's for Him to be able to make us into whatever He wants. It's it's for Him to be able to qualify us for what He wants us to do. You know the saying like, what's the saying again? Uh, the Lord qualifies those He calls. I think that I really saw that on my mission. You know, I saw that within myself. I saw that within other elders who maybe I would, maybe I was companions with them. But then like six months later, after we stopped being companions, they were just a different person, person who is way better. Or I saw that with the members of the church too. Um, and I, I really want to accredit that to Jesus Christ and his atonement. I don't think, I don't think we'd have been able to, we'd be able to change as much as we can if it wasn't for Jesus Christ and his atonement. And so. I think that the church did a lot for me. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Connection Podcast, and we look forward to the episodes we have coming up the rest of this month. We're going to be interviewing Tim Zakarian later this week, or I guess next week. He is, as many of you know now, he's the founder of Waypoint Church over in Thurston. And we're going to talk with him about developing leaders, among other things. So excited about that one. And then later this month, we'll also be interviewing Peter Rabin, the Bishop of Springfield Fifth Ward. And we have a few other episodes that we have scheduled as well. So excited about where we're going this month. Thank you again to everybody who tunes in. We are going to have some prizes at some point. So be on the lookout for that. Until next time, take care.